next up, we have the brilliant Ines, who is joining us from the airport, uh, no less. Um, ultimate dedication to, to wanting to take part. She's like, ah, oh, Natasha, no, I'm going to be traveling. She's like, no, but I really want to do this still. Um, so really hoping that we've got a good tech set up uh, that's going to work and we'll be able to hear each other. But um, Ines is an absolute powerhouse and martyr. Um, I was fortunate enough to hear her speak and to meet her at Slush last year. Um, and, you know, she's been really helping grow some of our most loved uh, brands, working as Chief Customer Officer at Treatwell, uh, most recently as CMO at Deliveroo, um, working on sort of advising as an uh, non-executive director for a number of companies. Um, and she specializes in data-driven growth, global customer and marketing strategy and team leadership. Um, so Ines, hi, welcome. Um, it'd be great if you could give us just a really brief intro, I guess, as to who you are, sort of what, what you've been, what you've been uh, up to, I guess, in your very exceptional marketing career to date. Of course, of course. So brief interview, I think you introduced myself very, very well because I could really hear you well. But introduction to who I am and myself. So I, uh, I am basically uh, passionate about customer centricity. And the way I think about marketing is I think about it as uh, there's a customer problem to solve and there's a series of tools that are disposable, but it's not necessarily the tool or the technology first, but the problem first. It's the customer first. I try to understand who are we talking to, what do we want to say to them. We, you just mentioned there are tools like Atest that you can use, but basically the point is uh, I don't really care I just, I just, about what the solution is. I'm just trying to understand the problem very first and then figure out what the solution is. And then in terms of my background, you explained it well. So I... I've been recently leading uh, marketing and delivery with CMO before chief customer officer at Trigwell. And before that, I actually had roles in product and, and different roles in, in tech, always in marketplaces, consumer-facing marketplaces. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's my experience. Very cool. Um, I love the focus on customer centricity. I actually feel... I don't know what you think about this, but there's a real shift um, at the moment in terms of marketing and, and actually lots of people binning the kind of marketing role and, and turning it into a customer face, like a chief customer type role instead. What, what's been your sort of experience in, in that? Is that a similar type thing you're seeing? Yeah, I do think that there's a pivot happening in the role of the CMO. And, but that's, this is a continuous conversation that happens a lot. And many of the entrepreneurs in this session probably face that when they get asked by the firms or they ask themselves, uh, what type of marketer do we need to hire? Do we need to hire a brand marketer? Do we need to hire a uh, more like a data type of marketer, like a like mathematics numbers marketer? And when you think about the definition of marketing, the definition of marketing is actually fascinating. You know, because, because if you think about different industries, think about what they call marketing in fashion. In fashion, they could talk, about merchandising and they could talk about the like the catwalks and content well if you think about what they call marketing in the travel industry they could be much more focused on on things like um uh the marketing technology and optimization and and then overall interact to consumer businesses as, as you were just discussing there are things like uh, like understanding customer insights very very well to to do good product marketing management and to overall improve our products on a daily basis uh, so I do think that all those different types of marketing that I just described condition very much the role of the CMO. No, and that and that uh, and that when we try to figure out our careers as marketers, at the end of the day, the whole purpose is we are here 
to the, to drive demand, to drive growth. And then we should not really care about about the tools about, and about, I always think that awards are great, no? But at the end of the day, we don't get paid for winning awards. We get paid for driving demand, right? And, and for making businesses grow. So I think the role of the CMO is going to shift much more towards that, uh, all these different categories, but also towards experience, no? Like how do we understand the customer experience very well? And then uh, how do we create better experiences and measure experiences? Mm, that's super interesting. What do you think have been, when you, when you talk about like how you drive um, demand and growth, what do you think have been some of the most successful, um, you know, either campaigns or, or initiatives that you've been a part of to really help sort of, um, you know, drive that across the organization? Yeah, so there's a mix of different things uh, which cover basically areas regarding marketing technology, but also areas more on the brand side. I will give you two examples. So one example is around marketing technology on Treewell. And, and I mean, we did lots of stuff with the test team, but also uh, we, um, we overall were obsessed with marketing technology. In marketplaces, you have... Uh, you have basically uh, very, very like low margins. And what you basically try to understand is, is how can I maximize lifetime value, reduce CAC, and overall, most of the solution is going to be through marketing technology. You're going to have to optimize every single step of the flow in terms of data collection, in terms of, uh, because everything starts with the data collection. People move on to attribution, they have not even collected the right data, right? Are you measuring the events right? Are you capturing every single event on your website, on your app? Are you storing the data right? And then are you processing the data right? And what I think we did very well at Trivial is we put in place a very, very good marketing technology team very, very quickly. And then that drove uh, the brand, but drove the brand by being present, by appearing, by appearing in your search, by appearing through SEO, by partnering. Then we started partnering with um, um, Instagram and became an alpha partner for Instagram, which gave us access to basically better content uh, and better, but basically all the new products they were launching, we got access to them immediately. Um, and that's on the marketing technology side. So I, I do think that it is not very difficult to, to with, with a very small team in our case, we started with two people to put in place a good marketing technology stack. Very important, try to own your own stack, especially if you're going to depend on this. Mm. The other thing that we've done, I'm going to talk about delivery now, but um, it's been very recent. This example is during the COVID time. So during COVID, we, um, we had actually a very nice campaign that we were about to launch. We had been preparing the campaign for months, and we were about to launch the campaign uh, basically when, uh, when COVID hit, no? And we had to very quickly think about it and be like, do we really want to do this? Do we really think this message resonates? Or do we want to pivot? And do we want to think about what people really care about, people really want to talk about? And do we actually want to, um, to talk about that? And so what we pivoted is we, we, we started talking much more about what people cared about, like supporting the NHS and supporting the frontline workers, which now seems obvious because then everybody did it, but there weren't very, there were not many brands that reacted very quickly, you know? And we ended up actually pledging to deliver 500,000 meals to the NHS, which we did, we delivered, and we got a lot of support, free media, free TV slots, and we got a lot of support overall from, like TikTok gave us free budget, Instagram gave us free, free budget, as long as we 
use these assets and, and spoke about this this social purpose of food delivery. Mm, amazing. How did you get, I mean, being able to pivot quickly is, you know, something you expect in small businesses, but obviously delivery is pretty, pretty sizable by now. How did you get buy-in internally in order to sort of, you know, be one of the first brands to really sort of put your head above the pulpit and actually make a statement and, and make a comment on what was happening in, in COVID? Uh, what we did, which I think many people ended up doing is, we did it uh, with a partnerships approach. So it's not that we pledged to do 500,000 uh, meals. Uh, we actually spoke to Pizza Hut and partnered with Pizza Hut to deliver the meals. And we ended up partnering with a series of restaurant chains that became our partners, became our partners in disseminating the message and became our partners actually in, they, they really believed that in, a, in times of need when it was actually even difficult for these guys to get a proper meal because they were working 24 hours a day uh, what can we do to help and to support? And it doesn't cost us anything, no? And, uh, and I think that we have the advantage of still, although we are relatively big, to still have a young mentality and a very flexible mentality of, like, pivoting and, and just reacting. And, and, look, we are like any other organization, which is just crashes, <laughs> things don't work, and then disagreements, and at some point you disagree on something and just do it. Mm. I think, I think the partnerships piece is, is so important, especially when you're at that very early stage, right? Um, if you don't have the money to necessarily be building the brand or, or doing all that work yourself, being able to leverage others is critical. Um, but obviously for you at, at Deliveroo and then also similarly at, at Treatwell, when, when you're a marketplace, you have to balance the, the core brand that you own, but then also leverage sort of all of the brands that you're bringing in um, alongside you. How did you balance the kind of the core brand, be it the, the treat well or Deliveroo, and then the sort of, you know, sub brands that help shape that core brand? And was there a sort of obvious switch when it flipped from needing those sub brands uh, to help build up the core brand to the core brand being the big lever um, that the sub brands wanted to benefit from? Yeah, that's, that's a brilliant question. By the way, Natasha, can you see my face now? Can you see my video or not? Oh, or you're just. Let me see. Um, yeah, I yeah can because see. I am. Can you, can you I am connected. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, okay. I've been connected already for a while. Disconnected. Uh, just wanted to make sure maybe people could see my face. Hey, hi. Uh, okay, so how, how did we balance our presence with other brands? So it's actually uh, challenging because when you do partnerships like this, what they are going to ask you is, I want my brand to be everywhere. So we actually made mistakes where we didn't uh, basically put the brand presence of our partners. Uh, prom we didn't make it prominent enough so that they actually thought they were getting their value back from, from the contribution. So this is anecdotal, but we actually had to reshoot half of one of the TV ads because we, had to, uh, <laughs> we didn't have uh, good quality images for one of the brands to incorporate them. At the end of the day, it becomes, um, we were the ones leading. So for us, it was easier to make our brand more prominent. However, we are just the container of the news and the container of the product. And then we were just showcasing our restaurant partners as part of that TV ad. Therefore, in terms of time of the ad, they probably would get more time than us. However, we become the container and we are the, the messengers, right? So they are, we are the ones that, that promoted that initiative. Mm, super interesting. Also on the, because I guess you've got the, the core brand and then the sub brands, but then you also have like 
multifacets when you're actually from a from a marketing and acquisition perspective that you need to be thinking about um so how did you when it came to actual like channels how did you think about the different customer you needed to be reaching and then the different channel you might um, engage in order to help acquire them whether it was restaurants or um customers or riders uh, do you mean during the COVID time in general sorry yeah we can we can broad, broaden out oh really. yeah we'll go back to general yeah so um every business is different and i, I heard some of the comments right before i like after i joined if you compare trigger with delivery they are completely different businesses although they might seem similar on the surface and the strategy you might build so if you think about delivery delivery is mainly a top of mind business when i'm working with the team i would always say to them you need to think that selling food delivery is the same as selling toothpaste. So the day, the day that you, the moment you become hungry, you think, oh, I'm hungry. Uh, I'm just going to go and grab the app that comes to mind. It, it has to be top of mind, right? So, so however, when you start thinking about uh, buying a flight or, or just traveling, you're going to compare, you're going to search. People do not compare when they order food delivery. So when you, when you think about the channel mix, that's why we skew us and, and all the other competitors. You skew much more to a, to a more traditional marketing mix where you have a big presence of video and digital channels like YouTube and like uh, and overall, obviously, TV. And if you think about the other competitors, they also do it massively. And digital marketing, uh, more the traditional performance data-driven marketing becomes less important. When you think about three, well, it's the opposite story. So uh, it's mainly search-led. So... Uh, you're looking for a new hairdresser, you're looking for a, uh, the top, uh, I don't know, nail, nail artist in your, in, your, in your neighborhood, and you're going to search. And therefore, content, SEO, and obviously paid search became key. And actually, Instagram did pretty well, but it was tiny compared to how, how search was still doing, like, like with most marketplaces. Therefore, my advice to the team is always like, think, I think about the decision-making uh, process, the decision-making journey for the consumer and think, when do I need to appear? When is the decision going to be made? And when do I need to appear to say, hey, I exist as a brand? And when do you need to appear when they are ready to make, ready to make that decision? You know? And then that is going to determine your marketing mix. And I, I just gave you two different examples. No, one that is much more exploratory, so that how do I get a manicure? And the other one, which is, uh, I'm hungry and I want to get food in 20 minutes and I want the food to be warm and to be delicious. Mm -mm -mm. What metrics were you using to help sort of measure the, the success across those different, um, you know, channels that, that you were using and for the different types of customers? And, and how did you balance sort of having confidence that some things may be less measurable than others? Uh, well, yeah, that's such a good question. Uh, so... Overall, the moment that you expand below, beyond anything that is digital, even when you start expanding into YouTube, everything becomes not measurable. And, and even anything that is digital, digital now with the new uh, laws that are being put in place in terms of cookies, etc., is going to be not measurable. Uh, measurable in the sense of attributable, right? So we are going to have to become much, much smarter in the way we measure. But if you think about KPIs, uh, assuming <laughs> uh, I, I just spoke about data collection, right? Like most important thing is data collection. And the challenge with measurement will continue to be because of data privacy. 
going to continue to be data collection. But assuming an, an ideal world where you can collect perfect data. Uh, I obviously like KPIs like CAC, and then I like KPIs like lifetime value, so uh, cumulative lifetime value and projected lifetime value. Cumulative meaning how much value has this customer generated in their life or this cohort of customers generated in their life and, uh, and how much value we project that they are going to generate in their life. No? So, so that's on the test of KPIs. But actually, when, when you and I spoke to prepare this call, I think that there's a series of KPIs that, that we don't use that much. We don't use that at the beginning when we decide to start the business, but are crucial especially in businesses where you depend on the loyalty of the consumer. And one that I encourage you to look into is start looking into uh, customer, uh, customer experience KPIs. For example, uh, what we would call a relationship NPS. NPS, NPS mean, means net promoter score. And it's a score between one to 10 that a customer gives you when you ask the question, uh, would you promote my business or, uh, sorry, would you, would you recommend uh, this service or business or product to your friends or, or family members, no? And then people will give you a nine or a 10, that's a promoter, or a one to five, that's, that's a demoter. And, and, um, and the whole point of that is understanding, would you overall recommend this service uh, to your friends and family? Because this way you could be an advocate, which means you're loyal. Now if you go one level below, Imagine that you uh, also can measure that every time there is a, a touch point with the consumer. For example, every time there's a customer care uh, touch point or every time there's a sales touch point. No? So you start looking into the different steps of the customer journey. And this sounds very abstract, but many, many brands do this very successfully and they have put in place improvement programs that actually have been hugely successful to improve loyalty that are actually consuming zero marketing budget. They don't, they're not spending any marketing budget, but what they are consuming is actually optimization resources that I believe create long-term value for the brand and it's much more sustainable value. Mm. Um, I imagine that there are many entrepreneurs here that have amazing products, no? So focus on your product, focus on the, on the quality of the delivery of this product, on the experience of the product. Mm. And then, um, and then figure out how to measure every step because then those are the leading KPIs. And then you have CAC, CAC, which is an output KPI. It's a lagging KPI. You have lifetime value, which is obviously a consequence of everybody else's work in the business. Um, yeah, so this year I kind of became very obsessed with, with experience and, and MPS, which is why I was telling you, I believe the role of the CMO or chief customer officer is going to pivot much more towards research, customer understanding, uh, and, uh, and, and journeys because we are going to see my, many more brands, direct to consumers especially, being created where they are delivering better experiences mm. and more tailored and curated than the, bring, the, the big brands are, are doing. Mm. How do you think, obviously, you know, for a lot of our companies, they're so early. How do you think we can sort of encourage, um, you know, founders who often are not product or are not marketing sort of experts to actually be thinking about like, customer experience at the beginning and and at what point do you think you have enough customers to actually be able to really trust the information that they're giving back to you i'll start with the second part of the question i okay. think you have enough customers you have enough customers since day one right that's how you started your business you start your business because there's a customer need that you feel exists because you heard that in street your parents told you you read the news and then you're like, mm, I'm going to create a product for these things. 
right? So the most successful entrepreneurs, they are the ones that they, they do what's called primary research, which is speak to their consumers since their very first day and understand that. So I actually think that this is not an attribute that is natural for marketers because marketers, marketers their tendency is going to be towards that money and advertising and cars and pay, no? And, and I do think that when you when you are an entrepreneur, your heart is much closer and your mind are much closer for, to the product and to the experience and to the service. And many entrepreneurs actually uh, then go very quickly to paid marketing, no, without going to more the organic and, and leveraging that experience to actually drive the flywheel. So I actually think the entrepreneurs have to teach the marketers about going back to experience, going back to primary research, uh, go go and see go and see. Uh, you go and try your services, no? Because many people join a business and they never try the service, and they probably will never do that, no? And it's impossible to market a service you don't understand. Yeah, I definitely had that when I worked at a smoothie business, and I got so fed up with drinking smoothies after a while. I was like, I can't engage with this anymore. <laughs> Did you find that, um, sort of speaking to that, were the founders of the businesses were they still there on the front line, like speaking to customers and and sort of doing research and consistently sort of having that that like you know direct interaction of course like I'll, I'll give you the best example is will the founder of delivery will write i think once or twice a week he writes uh, he delivers food will <laughs> when we do a like a board meeting he orders food for everybody in the board meetings we have to invest to think of all the investors are there he orders like seven different types of food and he makes the board people try the different food and criticize the packaging and He's the first one that is literally trying to understand what is wrong, and and sometimes that's actually quite detailed. But I I love it, no. And and the same with with our with our C-level team and our founder CEO at Rigwell. He was always speaking to the salons and always obviously uh, very different because beauty is much more rewarding in the sense that you can <laughs> try many different beauty treatments, no, and you get experience in them. And and I mean some treatments are painful, but overall it's quite pleasant. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so I, I, it was actually easier. In the, in the two cases, it's actually easy to stay close to the product. But this is actually the vis visible part of the product. Then you have the invisible part of the product. For example, customer care. You would have ideally, what I would do is make every single employee in the businesses to spend uh, sometimes, sometimes per month or per week doing customer care services because uh, you can be trained. Anyone can be trained to do customer care because the tools, if the tools are in place. But it gives you such a different understanding of what consumers want and what consumers care about. I think that that's really, really key. Customer care and customer success are literally the lifeline um, of uh, these sort of businesses. One, one last question for me, and then we'll have just like a couple of minutes if, if anyone listening has any questions. But what's been the biggest challenge you faced um, as a marketer when facing investors and having to put forward the case for some of the marketing activity that you're doing? Purple question. Yeah. I love this question. I love this question. So we as marketers, uh, and also this happens a lot with founders, we have a tendency to complica complicate things and make things difficult because we believe that if they sound difficult, we, it sounds like we're doing a better job. Yeah, so uh, I've seen CMOs and, and many founders and CEOs talk about about the technical side of marketing and the attribution side and the technicalities. And my main learning after years of, of working with, with, 
investors with different backgrounds is the, the simpler, the better. Like explain things to them that you're talking to the, your mom or your grandfather or, or, or your young sister. Like try to simplify things to a super basic level. Of course, you need to know everything. You need to have done your homework. So if they ask you about details, that you that you know those details. I'm seeing questions uh, popping up, so that's why I got distracted. Uh, but my thing is, once you tell your, you have the story, simplify the story to a level that you can explain it in, in one minute or two minutes. Mm-hmm. No, and then it's just like, these are my KPIs, these are I'm hitting them, these are my five three pillars, boom, end of the story. And my mistake at the beginning was, I just wanted to tell everything, and, and that the everything is not important at all. What's important is, it's tell the story, the, the five important things of the story that matter and that actually drive the business. Great. So moral of that story, keep things very simple for your investors. Um, we got a great question from Guy. Guy asked, how did you decide how frequently to reach out to customers? So what's the sort of right balance with things like NPS? How much can you ask for people to do stuff and they're willing to do it? And then at what point does it get annoying and, and they stop doing something? It's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful question and uh, the the reality is that uh, I don't know but I can tell you how I don't know what the right frequency is I think we tested it and we tried different frequencies uh, so if you start from the lowest level which is what we call interaction NPS uh, so when you when you do an interaction so you have interaction NPS. Then you have transactional MPS, which is when you buy something from the brand after you bought something. Then you have relationship MPS, which is uh, your relationship with the brand. Yeah, so would you recommend this brand to friends and family? Yeah, and then you have more uh, the, what they call like customer sentiment, brand MPS, etc. But let's start for, from the lowest level. So did you think about uh, interaction MPS, which is when they have an interaction with a customer care agent. That you can ask every time. Like every time that they have an interaction, this is quite typical. Uh, they say, would you like thumbs up, thumbs down? I think Amazon does this. Or give a number from one to five, take two minutes. Yeah, it's uh, two seconds, it's fine. The next level from interaction is transactional MPS, which is right after you do the transaction, right after you order. Again, thumbs up, thumbs down, one to five, one to 10. We also would ask for this every single time, and, and people usually fit it in. Now, now put yourself in the shoes of the consumer. You are consumers. You start getting very delicate when you go to relationship MPS because you still are surveying your customer base. You want to know maybe once a quarter or once every six months what your relationship with your different customer segments is. That still doesn't allow you to compare with the rest of the market, but it allows you to understand how your customer base feels about you. And you, can, and you can use exactly the same sample of people to feel the same people and their, and their uh, sentiment towards you as a brand has changed. No? We would do it once a quarter. Uh, for me, it was frequent enough to have a reading and you see huge changes. And then the highest level, which is what we call brand NPS, which is, is not a survey that you do to your customer audience. It's a survey that you do to the market. And you say, uh, market, uh, you have people that use speed, people that use Deliveroo, people that uh, use Domino's, people that use all the brands. Now, and you start by understanding what brands they use, and then you start by understanding if they would recommend, recommend certain brands. And when, then actually what you see is that you can start comparing, oh, my MPS compared to my competitor's MPS went up and down. And, and this is what I actually did during this time. For example, you might see that your, that your perception of MPS and the brand MPS went up, but also your 
customer satisfaction went up, right? The lowest level, the interaction MPS. Therefore, you see, ah, oh, because I'm doing better customer care, suddenly uh, this usually happens lagging a bit. My brand MPS has improved, no? So I would say the two lowest levels, so we said interaction MPS and also order transactional MPS. I would, I would say you can do it almost every time. And then the others you would have to figure out. But I think, for example, quarterly or if you're a new startup, even once a month, I think that's fine. Awesome. Really helpful. Ines, thank you so, so much for your time. Um, really appreciate it. Um, the extra effort that was gone to to do this from the airport to, to share her wisdom, of which there is so much more um, that we could tap into. I'm hoping that we'll be able to get Ines back um, for another session in the not too distant future. Um, but massive, massive, massive thank you. Have a safe flight. Um, and yeah, really. Yeah, really thanks to you. Thanks to you. And 